This is To The Point. A Rhino experience. Voted one of the top home services marketing and operations podcasts. Cutting through the bullshit and getting to the point. Hey, what's up To The Point listeners? It's your boy, Cristiano, the host of To The Point Home Services podcast. And this is a very odd start to this particular episode. And not because of our guests. Our guests is the exact opposite of that. But I am actually doing the podcast from my office in our new office building. You know, the one I've been talking about the last like two years that we've been building out. Well, we're finally transitioning into it. I went into the new podcast studio, which is absolutely gorgeous, but there are no microphones in there. Nothing is set up yet. So I'm literally doing this episode from my new office and uh, me and about two other workers are the only ones that are here right now. And so uh, it's a little bit different. But nonetheless, it's going to be a great episode because of my guest. And my guest is on here because Mr. Jenkins told me. <laughs> you like that transition? I like that. I like that. <laughs> and my guest today is Mr. G. Is I would say is a Mr. Jenkins' right hand dude for so many years to help grow this business. Morris Jenkins down in Charlotte, North Carolina, and beyond. Like it's a, it's it's one of the beasts of the East, and. and and our paths have never really crossed in this, in my 15 years of doing this, even though you've been at this for significantly longer than me. But I'm glad it finally is now because I've heard so many great things about not only Morris Jenkins, the company, but also about, about you, Jonathan, and just um, the culture, the business, and and just um, the overall um, the overall like reputation of Morris Jenkins. And, and, and then you guys have now are into the Wrench Group family. And it's just like, I'm glad to finally be able to get this time with you and, and thanks for getting on the podcast with me, but I'm excited because I, you, you've been at, I, I want to say if I read this right, you have been at Morris Jenkins, I want to say since 99, is that right? That That is correct. Uh, January 11th, 1999 is uh, the specific day. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's part of my story. I, I can share a little bit of that, but so what's that 24 years and change. So, uh, yeah, I, I've grown up in this business and, uh, uh, seen tremendous amount of growth. I was, I just had to relook at where we were revenue wise in 1999, uh, to where we are today. And it's a, uh, a, mul- a multiplier of, of nearly 40 times. Uh, so, you know, I've seen the business, uh, double, triple, quadruple, and a whole bunch more. And, uh, I've had a, I literally started at the bottom, $9 an hour uh, as an apprentice learning how to, uh, hopefully learning how to uh, clean evaporator coils and condenser coils. So I was affectionately uh, an apprentice to be a a coil scrubber. And so that was literally my start. And, um, you know, that, that I landed where I landed. And on that day in January 11th, 1999, on, on the doorstep of Mr. Jenkins, him not knowing me, I not knowing who he was, the chance conversation that I overheard in a period of desperation about this place, not even knowing about the trade, um, and when where I am today, I'm humbled and I'm blessed. and And thank you for having me, Chris. Been a big fan for a long time. I'm glad that we're uh, finally crossing paths. And uh, we tried to connect uh, a year or so ago, and then uh, our mutual friend Paul Kelly got us connected. And uh, uh, so kudos for Paul for uh, twisting my arm. But uh, you, you've had the who's who on this uh, show. You do a, a fantastic job, and and I'm I'm humbled to be here. 
Jonathan, that means a lot. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I, I will give a shout out to PK. I was talking with him a little bit yesterday too, and and he did, you know, in, in typical Paul Kelly fashion, he did tell me to tell you that uh, his book is better. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, and it may be, it, it may be, but mine's easier to read. I'll tell you that much. So, <laughs> well, I, and your book that you had that you put out was Mr. Jenkins told me. I, it makes sense that it would be named that. And I want to say that was in eighteen nineteen somewhere around there. Yeah, it was. Uh, it came out in the fall of nineteen. Uh, I. Uh, released it. Uh, I was actually in Anaheim, uh, spoke at uh, Vern Harnish's Scale Up event there. I was very honored to have sort of a TED Talk there. And uh, we wrote this book, uh, not to sell any books, uh, but through the process, it's become a, a little bit of a cult classic. Uh, we actually wrote the book as an unofficial handbook for all of our members here on the team. And so even to this day, we had uh, 16 people in orientation on Monday and in their care packet, they had a copy of the book. Um, and we, for a long time, sent it out to our club members, our priority advantage members here. Uh, so it's, it's on the table of our most fervent fans and supporters and customers and club members. And uh, so it's really important for our team members to say, hey, we're not making it mandatory that you read this quick, simple, easy book. But a lot of our customers may question you on it. So you might want to read it. And, uh, and along the way, it sells uh, it, it always sells in numbers of like 8, 10, 12. So that tells me it's always uh, uh, an executive team that's buying it. And I've gotten a lot of great feedback from it. So and compliments to uh, my co-writer. Uh, the the very very great uh, Roy H Williams the Wizard of Ads yeah. uh, so the Wizard is absolutely a friend a confidant and uh, has been so important to our success I know he's worked with Ken Goodrich uh, for many many years so uh, uh, you know for him to take my story not book's not about me but uh, the story of Morris Jenkins and what we believe in why we believe in those things uh, and to put it into an entertaining uh, language that can get you hooked, uh, and, and have you read along and you can read it in one setting, uh, has been great. So yeah, the book has been a success. Cool, man. So you've worked the whole thing into the culture of the business, uh, ongoing, which is great. And ultimately not just internally, but like I said, to even some of your membership customers, things like that. That's great. That's a great way to use, use the book. Um, I, I want to, um, because you, you know, you, you've been there, like we said, roughly 25, you know, years, and you had the 40 times growth, I bet you it wasn't always just a cakewalk, right? <laughs> right? I, I can, <laughs> uh, and, and, and what happens a lot of times on the podcast is, um, you know, when, when I have, when we have someone on that's of your size, um, I think it's easy for um, you or anyone of equal size or greater to maybe like relate back to that, you know, when that smaller time, cause you're much further away from it. There's probably things that you remember, like pivotal moments that you remember through that, that the listeners can relate to because the majority listening aren't of that size. Um, but they're on their journey. They're on, and they're on that path now. So I, I like to be able to take uh, you back down memory lane a little bit. Right. And, and, and maybe kind of reflect on some of those moments because um, if they can't relate to where you are now, they can certainly relate to parts of your journey. So, sure. so maybe if what we can do then, Jonathan, is um, maybe walk us through just a little bit of, um, you, you know, uh, from you coming in in 99 and what the business size was then for some reference points. 
And then just some like pivotal moments along the way. And if you can remember and you don't, I'll remind you, just maybe try and give some like year markers along the way as well. But like, tell me the story up to today's point and then kind of what your role is, you know, today. Sure. Well, I think it's important for uh, any listener that, uh, and there's probably quite a few that, that don't know the Marshinga story, uh, to give a little context uh, to this. Uh, I actually uh, start the book kind of jarringly. And so to not have the readers go get the book and read chapter one, which I probably should do, I, I'll, I'll tell you that I woke up as a seven-year-old with a South Carolina state trooper uh, in my bedroom. Uh, to tell me that my father had been killed in an automobile accident. So I was seven years old. Uh, he dropped me off at uh, for second grade uh, the day before, had worked late that night, just never came home. Why I tell that story is not because that makes me special, but I grew up in those formidable years thinking that I was the oddball. You know, I was the kid that didn't have a dad out there on, on the little league field, didn't have the dad teaching me how to tie a fish and knot. And in my little world, I just thought that I, I was the only one. And it took getting to an adult to figure out that I wasn't. We all have trauma. We all have experiences in life that uh, will craft and mold and sculpt us. Uh, but I, my dad was an architect and he, he was an old school architect uh, and his business, he was 31 when he was killed in that traffic accident um, and he was just getting his business kind of off and going. So it's 1981. Uh, I, I grow up thinking that, hey, I'm going to be an architect like my dad, the hero. And uh, so that's what I had trained for. Uh, got into several uh, design schools uh, out of high school. Um my mom didn't go to college. My mom sacrificed everything to raise me and my little brother, who was only 18 months old when my dad died. Um, she she took a little life insurance policy. I mean, little life insurance policy, squeezed everything out of that to try to stay at home and raise us uh, up, up until the point where she had to go to work part time, which was like I was in middle school, maybe almost high school and then eventually full time. But she herself didn't go to college. So what was pushing me to go to college was to be an architect like my dad. Um, and I got in and I quickly went to architecture school uh, to learn that I did not want to be an architect. Uh, I, I mean, I was already like, I think at the time it was like AutoCAD release 13. So this is like circa 1992, 93. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking like, we're going to jump in and, and design buildings. And, you know, it's, I remember the first day they put a lump of clay on the desk and they said design. And I'm like, what, what is this artsy crap, man? Let's, we gotta, we gotta draw some buildings, baby. And so, <laughs> You know, they they said, son, architecture is not going to be for you. I agreed. And they sent me down the hall to engineering. And that was a whole uh, whole nother uh, catastrophe. And, and the other thing is that, you know, I grew up on on probably the lower side of middle class, got pretty good grades, but not grades good enough to get a scholarship. And we weren't impoverished to the point where I could get financial grants. So guess who was funding my education? It was me. So I had to work and go to school. And so this vicious cycle was set up of me trying to put gas in the car, uh, to pay for living, to pay for books, to pay for materials. Uh, and I had a pretty decent little job during college. I worked for a law firm. I was like their gopher. Uh, I would drive their expensive cars to the service department. I would cut the grass out front. I would run to their storage facilities and get files for cases. And I could work whenever I wanted to, as, as little as I wanted to, or as much as I wanted to. So the the I had to work. And the draw on that was pulling me away from staying in school. And so this vicious cycle that really lasted a number of years ensued, uh, putting me tens upon tens of thousands of dollars in debt. I found myself uh, in 1998 
uh, probably on the brink of uh, uh, financial catastrophe, personal bankruptcy. Um, and my mom had just gotten remarried. She had sacrificed all those years and God bless her. She finally got found somebody in her life and, and got remarried and she invited me over for Sunday dinner. And I was coming not to ask for money, but I was coming because really I need, I needed my mom's shoulder, you know, yeah. uh, she, yeah. she was my parent. And I, I look back on it now and see, holy smokes, was I in desperation. But at the time I was just like, it was a little problem I need to get out of. But um, I thought I was going to be there at that dinner by myself. It turns out she had a couple friends over. Uh, one of the friends uh, who was married, but husband wasn't there. Turns out he was, she kept talking about this place called Morris Jenkins and they were looking for some young folks to learn the trades. And, you know, I'm just hearing this story. Uh, I think I'd seen a truck driving around one or two that said Morris Jenkins, but wanted to learn more about it. I needed a job. I needed a career. I needed, who am I? Well, you know, what, uh, from, the, from a secular standpoint, where am I going to, you know, stick my flag and what am I going to do? And, um, yeah, so it was a blessing that I had picked that Sunday to come over for dinner. It was a blessing that my mom had had a couple friends over. And one of those people happened to be the wife of the service manager at this place called Morshing. And so I interviewed late 98 and I'll never forget Alton Powell. Uh, was our service manager at the time. He had his arms folded like this, and he's like, this is monkey see, monkey do. We're going to throw you out there and see if you stick. And uh, that was literally the the sales pitch. And uh, he said, before you start in, in January, I want you to come to a training. Uh, all our techs will be there. It's after hours. So I went over to a vendor. They had some technical training on, I don't remember, heat pumps, gas furnaces. And I just remember sitting in that room just a few days before Christmas, 1998, uh, about 13 techs. That was the whole whole company. And uh, I didn't know what they were talking about, uh, but I just remember we were all kind of set out in a crescent shape and I was down on the end and I could look at all these other gentlemen there. And, and I just, I said, if they can do it, I can do it. And so, yeah, January 11th was a crazy day. Uh, we were not doing weekend work or evening shift. We were uh, looking back and I, I just looked back in 1998, the year before we were doing uh, three and a half million in revenue. So that gives you some context of where we were, probably had 40, 42 employees at that time. Good company. Um, Mr. Jenkins had bought the business in 1990 from Mr. Morris. So that's how we became Morris-Jenkins. Uh, and Dewey's got a great, great story. Uh, and he, he, he leveraged, begged, borrowed, but didn't steal, but leveraged everything to buy this crazy uh, neighborhood air conditioning business and had started to change it and remake it. And it took several years to kind of get it foundationally where he, he wanted it to have. And I was probably one of the first people, like he lost his entire service department the year prior because he made a pivotal change in the organization. And I was probably the, the first one that came back in or the group of the first people came back in to sort of be a part of the new service department. And so I found myself there January 11th. It was a cold freezing weekend. Uh, the phone, it was like a newsroom scene from the 1960s. You know, I mean, people with phones in both ears, just pandemonium. Mr. Powell that, that hired me was like, Jonathan, I'm sorry. I'll be right with you. Go out in the warehouse. There's a desk and a chair there and, and sit down. I'll be with you shortly. And so I go out there and on, on that desk in, in the unconditioned warehouse outside was, uh, and I don't, I don't know if uh, probably some of your listeners will remember the Granger catalogs. Uh, they were like the size of three phone books from the 1980s uh, glued together. So there was this Granger catalog on the desk in the warehouse. And so I just started flipping through that. And, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, lunch comes and goes. The whole day goes by. 
I'm shy. I'm an introvert. And so I, I never stood up. I never went back to Mr. Powell to say, hey, you forgot about me. The whole day goes by and I drive home thinking I'm not coming back to Morris Jenkins. The heck with the trades. The heck with this thing, man. I got to go find something else. But something convinced me that, you know, just no showing on day two was not fair. I'd been taught better than that. Let me go back in. I'll give it, I'll give it a cup of coffee in a second to see if day two is better. And, um, I'll give him another chance. And, and if it's not, then I'll, I'll resign, but I'm going to do that. Uh, looking somebody in, in the eye, shaking them, hand, shaking their hands for thanking them for the opportunity. So day two kind of started out like day one. It did. It was not looking good. It was dark. It was bleak. It was still pandemonium. And I can appreciate that now, but I did not appreciate that at the moment. <laughs> and I, I, uh, I, I saw a tech, with his head kind of, with his hat kind of on crooked, an unlit cigarette bobbing out of his mouth, with just a box of parts underneath each arm, uh, kind of traversing across the warehouse, going out the bay door there. And this shy introvert kid just said, I, I got to either leave or I got to take control of the moment. So I shot up, I introduced myself uh, to Chuck. Uh, and for the next two weeks, uh, I rode around in the passenger seat of Chuck's truck. And, uh, man, we did everything. We were fixing inducer draft motors, changing coils. And uh, it was just like that hooked me to the trades. I had this different vision out the windscreen. We were going to uh, strangers' homes to be the heroes and fix the problems and meeting all different kinds of people. And I was like, you know, damn it, man, I can do this. I can be good at this. And, um, so it's funny, like a couple of weeks goes by and out Mr. Powell's like, Oh, you're still here. Like, yeah, I'm still here. I've been around with Chuck. Yeah, it's great. And so we, you know, he started getting me around riding with all of, of the other techs, no formal training, man, no formal training, no curriculum, no nothing, you know, and it was literally that monkey see monkey do. I got good enough for them to give me their oldest truck. Uh, broke down and just looking dilapidated. I took that thing home and scrubbed and scrubbed on it all weekend long, got it shined up. I was ready that next Monday morning, a few weeks down the road to run my first call. And talking with a, a, a recent graduate class here of our uh, academy, I was recounting that story. I said, you'll never forget your first call. You will never forget your first call. And I kind of relive my first call with them and they appreciated that. So my, my goal at that point was, uh, you know, Every, everybody, all the guys wanted to go home at five o'clock, right? They had, most of them have families and uh, we shut the phones down at five o'clock and we didn't work on the weekends. And so I was the kid that had now uh, moved back into mama's basement uh, because remember I'm in debt and uh, I, I got a pathway out of debt where I could pay a little bit off uh, a few dollars here and a few dollars there, but it was a pathway and I was making regular money, not great money, but regular money. And what I wanted to do was become eventually one day, somewhere way off in the future, super tech. I wanted to be the guy they could send to the house when, you know, nobody else could fix it. That's, that's what I thought I wanted to do. And I would pick up extra calls at, you know, six o'clock, seven o'clock at night because everybody else wanted to go home. And so that's how I cut my teeth on diagnostic calls. There again, I mean, I ran into some situations. I, I could barely uh, read a wiring schematic, but, you know, I, I faked it till I made it and, and I was learning on the fly. And they then moved me to CTS. We were like, uh, I was having to, I learned how to braze. I learned how to weigh in refrigerant. I learned all the technical aspects of the installation side. Uh, and I, I was on that path to try to be a diagnostic tech, a top tech. And uh, I got this crazy opportunity in life. Sometimes doors open and doors close and a sure. door open 
me about 16 months later uh, to join sales. Uh, that same Mr. Powell that had hired me was 7 a.m., 6.58 a.m. at the door of the of the little training room we had, and he was he was doing this. And so I thought I was in trouble. I got up. He said he was going to take me to breakfast. And I was like, man, did they take people to breakfast to fire them? And I'm starting to think of all the things I'd done wrong. And um, he took me to breakfast and said, we have two salespeople or comfort advisors, and we're going to add a third. And uh, we've been looking at you, and we want you to join that. And uh, I actually looked him in the eye and told him I want to think about it. And uh, and I did. I went home and thought about it because I remember I wanted to be super tech and uh, mm-hmm. I just hadn't even, even considered that. But came back next morning and, and recognized it was a good opportunity and a different opportunity. And so I accepted that. So about 16 months after that, January 11, 1999, I joined sales and uh, had a 12 year career in that. Yeah, you you. SmartAC.com, SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. We're an introvert. You even said that. So you, so I want to, I want to hit on two things because one, I'm trying to figure out where this drive came from to want to be the super tech. Like, cause I'm, I'm trying to understand like what, like what in you drove that. I mean, and because when you tell me the story about, about your dad passing, so like so young, and uh, you're, you're kind of being basically raised, you know, a lot, a lot by your mother until she met someone. But like one, where was the drive from that? And then how the hell does an introvert go and do a sales job? Exactly. Right. That's <laughs> that's why I think that's I, I thank you for recognizing and letting me tell that part of the story, because there's other people listening that are going, yeah, I'm an introvert, too. And hopefully I just want everybody to understand, you know, I didn't I'm not a kid from the country club. I, I didn't grow up on the wrong side of the tracks, but, you know, it's just a very, uh, you know, normal existence. And I, I've had to learn uh, and find uh I, I believe a lot of traits are God given, but I th- this place helped me discover this trade. Morris Jenkins, Dewey Jenkins himself, uh, a lot of other mentors along the way helped me discover some some inner traits that I had that I I previously didn't. The drive comes from, uh, and I speak of it in the book where, you know, growing up uh, without a dad, uh, essentially from seven on, um, put a chip on my shoulder, uh-huh. uh, and, and I think I specifically say in the book. That uh, the, the, that ship didn't make me a bully <laughs> at all, but it was sort of that driving mechanism of, uh, you know, I'm the underdog. Hey, and, was, was there a sense of this that that also just wanted to make your mom so proud of you? Yeah, because, you know, I, there was nothing. I mean, I was a good kid. I've, I, I was raised with some phenomenal uh, values. My mom uh, was. uh uh, I, I lost my mom about a year after coming to Marsh Jenkins. She got uh, diagnosed with stage four colon cancer at the age of 50. So, you know, right as I got that sales job at Marsh Jenkins, I was now parentless. And so that's going to be a part of the, the story. Okay. But my yeah, I wanted to make my mom proud. And when my mom was not well um, and in that last year of her life, I mean, sick as sick as could be. Uh, when Mr. Jenkins uh, offered me the sales position, uh, 
the only truck they had was this uh this old dodge dakota you know you know that little truck right it's not like a small truck it's not a big truck it's just like a medium truck yeah and whoever whoever had driven it before smoked cigars and so the thing reeked and um i can now appreciate you know a, a good cigar smell but not in this truck and it had it had burn marks everywhere and so unlike that van that i took home and scrubbed and cleaned on all weekend and rejuvenated this truck had no hope but mr jenkins promised to get me a new truck a chevrolet silverado lt extended Mm -hmm. cab and the thing was on order and i was like oh boy and when i remember when that truck came in where did I drive it first? I drove it straight to mama's house, you know, and it's like, look, look what Mr. Jiggs gave me, you know? So yeah, there was this moment of making her proud, but really I think it was that, um, that drive to succeed in, in the face of what I thought was this underdog status. What I would later learn in life that, man, I'm not the only one. There's kids of single family parents all over the place. There's tragedy, trauma. Uh, but at, at the time that's the driving mechanism. Um, I would say it's probably still the driving mechanism. You know, people don't change that much. And so I've learned to harness it and make it healthy. Uh, and I've learned it through, you know, general leadership and working with teams. And, um, you know, that's that's been the secret of our success. And I learned all that from the, the, the phenomenal tutelage of Dewey Jenkins um, is, is one of the wisest, smartest, high EQ people uh, that I've ever met in my life, the nicest guy you'll ever meet in your life. And uh, what a success story. Uh, you know, he's truly built an organization to last. Uh, and, you know, for me to just find myself at that time of the organization, still somewhat of it in its infancy, um, and have that opportunity to to get to the place that I, you know, that, that I'm honored to lead today is just, it's really amazing. So, yeah, there, there was a drive there probably from just that absence of my father. It yeah. had a very, very healthy upbringing. But now in my 20s, uh, it was coming out and it was, you know, just kind of not in a great place. My, my early 20s were sort of dark times. And, um, yeah, to to be able to stake my flag in the ground for the trades and have this awesome place with this awesome reputation and be a part of it, it, it was great. Um so, so, so you're in sales now yeah. and, and, um, and I'm a big believer of like, so I have a, I mean, so the sale, like, uh, the psychology of everything is, uh, fascinates me, um, and really of every position and, and, you know, typically, you know, engineers, um, are very analytical, methodical, you know, like thinkers, but need facts to support, you know, whatever, um, need to really like be able to make sense of the whole thing, complete the puzzle. Right. Um, whereas someone who is like myself, who I do become an analytical thinker, um, I am just, I can go and talk to anybody, you know, on the color code, I'm yep. a big yellow. I go, I know how to go and talk to people. I'm not afraid of it. Um, but right. once I'm, once I'm convicted about something and I'm passionate about it, I'm golden. I can go and be dropped in any room and tell that passionate story. And it's, and it's, uh, it's, authentic. It's legit. But I do believe in this. And that's a great sales ta- sales trait is having that. And we need those because they need to be, you know, go and be able to communicate with customers. But like uh, my wife is the exact opposite and she's the CEO of the business, but she's so incredibly smart about the details of the business and the facts of the business that when she goes and tells the story, it's convicting in a different way because she's using facts to support her story while still being able to speak to uh, a customer, even though she 
does not do those things today. But I'm just telling you. But what I found is that some of the people that I've and I've had, like you had mentioned, I've had a lot of great people on here, and I've worked with some of the largest contractors in the United States of America. And anytime you can find somebody who goes into sales who can still have that communication with the actual homeowner, but can support it with the, the actual facts, it's not just like fluff, you know. Man, that's a really, really strong salesperson if you can get that. So, so my assumption is, without knowing the without knowing the end result, is that's where you started to go was down that path. Am I close? Yeah, you're close. So we're probably opposites on the color wheel. Uh, we're big uh, uh, disc. Uh, there's a lot of forms of disc. Uh, I'm, I'm high D, high C, and and you're you're not. You're going to be high I. Yeah. Uh, you're maybe high D, high I, or high I, I'm high actually, S. You're, I'm actually high I, high I, D. Okay. Yep. So you're just like uh, Brandon Anderson, our COO here today. And so you and I can speak that same language. We know what the D side of that is. I'm a 99 D, 99 economic. So I'm off the charts. Economics, not always about the money, just so you know, it's just about winning. It's the competitive drive of it. Um, and, you know, I've harnessed that to make sure that it's not winning at all costs that, you know, we don't want to have dead bodies and skeletons behind us. But the high C side of that is interesting when you mix it with the D because it's about, uh, it's actually cautious. It's awesome. actually, um, it's about perfection and it's about correctness. And um, so this is the architect, right? You know, you'll find a lot of architects that are uh, going to be high C some, some D, some S, but, uh, so that, that's probably in my blood and that would not naturally make a good salesperson coupled with the fact that I'm an introvert. Um, I can communicate clearly, uh, and I can speak directly and, and I have, uh, I, I've been taught the poise and, and the timing and, and how to talk to folks, but it, it's a learned, learned behavior over time. And w what, what made my success happen was, uh, being under the tutelage of David Smith. Now, David Smith was here when I came here. He joined Dewey Jenkins. He'd worked for Sears Roebuck. He'd, he'd grown up with Sears Roebuck. And uh, in 1993, about three years after Mr. Jenkins uh, had bought the business, he just happens to open the newspaper and see an article where Sears Roebuck had uh, laid off their home improvement desk. And so, uh, the, the, like the whole desk, like the fence and the roof and everything, laid them all off. And so he, he immediately picks up the telephone, calls Sears Roebuck and just asks to speak with their number one, uh, heating and cooling salesperson. And they actually brought that person over. It was David Smith. And he immediately had a meeting with David and, and, and they worked out to, for him to come on Morris Jenkins. So David had been there for a number of years. And I mean, this guy would, uh, you know, ice to Eskimo, just, he is the quintessential genuine salesperson, all uh, off the charts, high I, high S. Uh, to my knowledge, I think he was one of the first people in America to sell a million dollars in a year. He was uh, certainly one of the first uh, to sell $2 million in a year because I was there when he did it. Uh, and then later became our sales manager. Uh, and he was he was my sales mentor. And so he, he taught me the Morris Jenkins sales process, which was a homegrown process, a little bit of uh, CSG from the nineties sprinkled in with some, uh, a little, we were early, uh, uh, we were members of CSG and then airtime 500. So, you know, Jim Abrams, that whole organization. So, but we had really kind of crafted our own, uh, sales play, if you will. And I'll tell you this, Chris, this thing just felt right, smelt right. Uh, there was no tin man. There was no used car salesman. It was, it was factual and it was everything that you are saying. You have to also be asking this question from the customer's perspective is, so what, who cares? 
So what, who cares? Like, you know, don't tell an origin story of the company because, you know, so what, who cares? These people don't care. They've been around since 1958. So, you know, piecing this together and I mean, literally getting a little piece and then going out and running a sales call and failing miserably. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and then, and David was still selling uh, and his son joined us, Alan Smith and Alan became later on the first person to sell 3 million and 4 million. And today we have, uh, multiple comfort consultants here that will pass through $8 million in a single year, uh, oh, which is just incredible. So we're, we're, we're a great sales organization, but not in the way that you would think. Uh, we just have a masterful system. A lot has changed over the years, but, and, but that one hasn't so much. We've changed with the technology and the times. Uh, we're, we're not bringing out pieces of paper. You know, what we show is on an iPad or tablet, but um, we have a paperless sales system now. We didn't when I was selling. So, you know, we changed that aspect. But, yeah, I, w- I was fortunate to find myself with Dewey Jenkins' doorstep. I was fortunate to have David Smith in my life. And uh, he, he got me spooled up pretty quick. Uh, I remember the first month that I sold over $100,000 in a month. It was May of 2000. And uh, Mr. Jenkins and his wife, Renee, David Smith and his wife took me to a steak dinner. And they got me a plaque. It was the first little plaque I ever got, and I still have it today. And uh, it, I just felt so special. And uh, they asked me to bring a date, and I wasn't dating anybody at the time, so I just came solo. Um, and then, you know, the funny, ironic thing about that was two two weeks later, uh, I'm coming in uh, to the shop to turn in a job back when you had to do that. And I walk in, and you can smell paint. And the in- inside of the office uh, was probably about seven, eight years old at that time. They were just painting the walls, freshening it up. And there was this painter. And it was a she, and she had blonde hair. I mean, long blonde hair, like hippie blonde blonde hair, like down to to the to the butt. And I mean, tan, like just walked off a beach. And I just kind of walked by, and I was like, Mister Jenkins hired some good looking painters around here. <laughs> and uh, I went up to my sales coordinator, and I said that exact same thing. And she said, Well, that that that's Miss Mister Jenkins' oldest daughter, Blair. She just graduated <laughs> from college, and uh, she's coming to work here. And, um, she's going to be our very first marketing director. And uh, I said, okay, that's fine. And then, you know, I had a little desk, uh, off in some random dark place at the office because I was in outside sales. I'm never there, but wouldn't you know it? They put, uh, Blair's desk right next to mine. So we just kind of struck up a friendship. And then I got the nerve to ask her out on a date later that summer, a Mexican dinner and a minor league baseball game. And then I'm going to be very vulnerable with your audience and with you, Chris. Uh, I've only had, I don't even know if I've had a panic attack, but I did have at least one panic attack. And that was uh, where I found myself at Mr. Jenkins home, ringing the doorbell. And like, I really, really like my job. Like I'm like, dang it, I'm getting good at this. And like, I found my identity and I found my purpose. And if this thing don't work out, man, I could have really screwed this up. So I, I know you probably you know, get a sense of where this is going. And yes, uh, two years later, I ended up marrying the boss's daughter. And so <laughs> Mr. Jenkins is not only, you know, my mentor, uh, my boss for so many years, but he's my father-in-law. And if you now understand the story of, of being really parentless at that point, both he, Dewey Jenkins, and his wife, Renee, kind of became surrogate moms and dads to me. Cool. And so, yeah, I, I am the, the not the not the son sob, but I'm the slob, son-in-law <laughs> of the boss. But but I but I had the job first. I had the job first. So <laughs> important factor, uh, important piece. 
important factor. So, you know, here, here's the thinking of this. Um, I was still in sales. I was still in sales. In fact, it was David Smith, Alan Smith, his son and me. And, uh, Dewey was, he was the service manager, the sales manager, the marketing director. He wore all those hats, right? And uh, our weekly sales meeting were, were three chairs in front of Mr. Jenkins' desk, and we had great sales meetings. And, and for all of those years, I just thought, look, Mr. Jenkins one day is going to retire many moons from now. And when he does, he'll sell the business. And when he sells the business, man, I'm probably the first one they're going to cut loose and get rid of because, you know, kind of part of the family. That was sort of that old mentality thinking. And that's how I went about it. Um, and I just had many, many successful years in sales. Uh, it allowed me to, you know, improve my life, get completely out of debt, buy my first couple homes, you know, buy cars, pay off cars quickly, uh, just, you know, had a great life. But I, you know, up until the late early, 2000s, you know, that was still the thinking. And, you know, 2000 and well, the year 2000, I think we did like just under 5 million in revenue. Uh, 2003, we were like just over 6 million in revenue. We just kept growing. There's three things that Marsh Jenkins is a growth organization, a learning organization, and a change organization. So a lot of uh, systems are being put in play at this time. And, uh, you know, it's spurring our growth on. And by, by the time we got to, you know, the, the Great Recession years, 08, 09, we're probably $22 million, uh, in revenue. So that gives you a context of what size we are. Um, I'm sorry, what, what was the size I missed it? $22 million around 2009. Um, and right. so, you know, 2000, what happened in late 08 and 09 was tough, you know, but uh, we had some great uh, incentives, some tax credits. It really, if you were in the sales side of home services, it was, uh, those were the two biggest years I ever had. Uh, 2010 was my last full year in sales. And I think uh, I did 3.5 million, which was probably certainly top five in the country at that time. Uh, remember, we were on a lot of the big boards, uh, trade groups where, you know, you share competitive numbers and I, I tend to live up there in those, those, those top numbers. And uh, so it, it was at that point that the business had grown to a point where Mr. Jenkins called a family meeting. Uh, his, his youngest daughter also worked in the business and the family meeting was like, okay, what are we going to talk about? And what we talked about was the business had grown to a size where Mr. Jenkins, uh, and Mrs. Jenkins didn't need to sell the business in order to retire. And if that was going to be, uh, the way forward, uh, then we needed to have a succession plan. And I just remember that conversation, uh, probably Oh nine, uh, where we, none of us wanted to get rid of Marsh Jenkins. We all we're working there. We loved it. You cut our wrists. We bleed blue and yellow, man. That's just what we are. And um, here I am uh, married into the family. It's uh, my wife, uh, her younger sister, and Mr. and Mrs. Jenkins. That's the family. And uh, immediately they all just looked at me and, and I think pointed at me. And I wasn't going to let it fail. Didn't know what I was going to do, but I wasn't going to let it fail. And, and, and I, I kind of thought they'd take me out of the truck and I would sit there on the edge of Mr. Jenkins' desk and learn what he did every day. And that's not what we did. Boy, mm -hmm. they threw me at every fire there was. I mean, I was a service manager, install manager, and that was the best tool. It's just throw me in. Uh, one of the first things I identified was we needed to solve our own labor dilemma. And uh, so I, uh, we had started a program. It kind of died out, but I started our Marsh Jenkins Tech Builder uh, program in late 2011, had our first graduating class in 2012. So that's now 11 years ago. 
Uh, it's spooled up to the point now where we have uh, three HVAC classes graduate a year, three plumbing uh, classes graduate a year. I mean, we're having, you know, 70, 80 graduates a year. And the, the great thing about Morris Jenkins is, you know, we hire for character, we train for skill and we promote from within. And now all these years later, I have people that, uh, that we hired in 12 or 13 or 14, they're, they're now in C-suite, top management jobs, uh, in the succession plan behind me for Morris Jenkins. It's just amazing to see. So that was the pathway. I had several different jobs. I was the communications trainer um, for our technicians. I, I, I found Nexstar uh, kind of late. We joined Nexstar 2012, uh, met interesting people like uh, Keith Mercurio and Julian Scadden, folks that I'm sure you've had on this program. I know you've had on this program. And uh, mm-hmm. man, I just latched on to that. I'd never found a training organization that could give a, uh, a play for technicians to run that was not about sales. It was about, you know, the, the steps we are as a technician and, and presenting options. And I immediately came home, implemented that and uh, started hiring just like crazy for these classes. Uh, we had two supervisors that were, I mean, the ratio for supervisor to technician was just like one to 40. It was, I don't know how they did what they did. And they had two and I took them down to one because I took one of them, made them a trainer (laughs) full time. (laughs) So the story for any listeners there, if you're going to start an education or training program, don't put that on your supervisor, your field supervisor, try to do that off on the side. You got to get serious about it and dedicate that person to do that and only that. So that was off and running. And, you know, there's some things that happened in those, those years. Uh, We, we, uh, had a different kind of org chart that got restructured and a path opened up uh, in, in 2014 uh, where Mr. Jenkins came to me and said, uh, I'm going to become the CEO and you're going to become the president. So in September of 2014, we had an all company breakfast and I became president. Uh, ironically, Dave Geiger uh, and his kids were there. Uh, they were just passing through town and visited us. And Dave to this day will still say, I was at Morris Jenkins. Uh, eating a pancake when they announced more uh, Jonathan as the president of Morris Jenkins. So, you know, uh, that, that was kind of cool. And then became a 2018 president and CEO. And, um, you know, by that point, you know, we're, we're, we're pushing through 75, 80 million in revenue. Uh, and by, uh, 2021, uh, was, was the year that we hit a uh, hundred million dollars, uh, in revenue, uh, through that journey, I thought that, I thought I, I was probably in a top 25 market, which Charlotte is. Uh, we were probably the largest uh, family-owned uh, in one location in one market. There was there was none other that was family-owned. And through the uh, uh, the M and A experience that we had, a wonderful experience we had in late 2021, and uh, ultimately uh, found our home uh, with Wrench Group, uh, Leonard Green Partners, uh, and now Oak Hill and TSG. Uh, just great, great partners. But through that experience, I confirmed that we, we were, uh, today, I think there's only one larger and that's, uh, you know, our friends at Parker, uh, because at one location in that wonderful market that is Phoenix, um, uh, they, you know, while, while not neither they or us are completely family owned anymore. Uh, I, I have found no other larger, uh, you, you could find some when you, glue them all the pieces together in the multiple markets that are pretty big. But uh, so that, that's a proud moment. That's one of those moments where, you know, if mama was still here, I'd drive home and tell her that I was part of that team that did that. Um, and yeah, you know, we, we have been so focused on our growth, but the learning aspect of that has been 
uh, so paramount. Uh, we now have a Marsh Jenkins University. We have full-time educators, uh, masters in educators, former principals, former teachers of the year uh, that are here in this building behind me right now uh, teaching our academy classes. And we're teaching uh, people to be techs in HVAC, plumbers, drain techs. But we're also teaching core fundamental classes, the things we believe in, a lot of the principles that I speak of and Mr. Jenkins told me, the book. Um, and we have really kind of a, a master's in education in, in the trades uh, happening right here. So much so that there, there, there is a, a line miles long of our awesome partners across Wrench Group that are now coming in and flying into Charlotte and spending multiple days here taking those classes. So uh, we're incubating a lot of things. So that's the learning aspect of going growing alongside being a growth organization yeah yeah because you can't obviously you can't support the growth without the people but and i want I, yeah. so i want to say one of my one of my really good friends is chad peterman um yeah and, and i chad's think chad, chad i think chad's been to your guys's your guys yes. so because i know that when they were launching peterman top tech he kind of used that same methodology on getting a master educator in as yeah he did and um which like I said, because Chad and I talk so frequently, um, give him a shout out. But I remember him telling me that story about coming there. So when you when you just said that, I just connected the dots on. I forgot that's where he got that from. So I think he got that from you guys. And obviously they've they're chasing 100 million right now yep. uh, in the state of Indiana, which is which is great. So I didn't realize that that Morris Jenkins um, didn't go outside of Greater Charlotte Metro area. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I, I guess I didn't realize it was all in that single location. I, I thought it was bigger than that. <laughs> No, yeah, a lot. A lot of people do, uh, but no, we're we're right here. We're the hometown team, right in Charlotte. Uh, we uh, operate. Uh, we built our building in seventeen. Uh, that's really why Chad came uh, a few years ago. He he wanted to see our building, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, I hosted him and his brother for a day, and we had a great great meetings. First time I'd ever met Chad, and he, he actually went back to uh, to Indiana and, and built a building that. Uh, with uh, with some thoughts in mind on how we had laid ours out. So, uh, and uh, Chad just connected with me the other day. I, I got to get up there and see that that place, and I'm excited to do that. Um, yeah, but yeah, sixty five thousand square feet. Um, our our issue is parking right now. Uh, I thought I built a building that would last us for the next ten years, and like within three or four, we're already you know bulging at the seams. But yeah, we run about a forty mile uh, radius around downtown Charlotte. Um, it's a great market about. 2.7, 2.8 million people. And, um, you know, after 35, 40 miles, you're, you're kind of in a cow pasture. So, uh, but we have some awesome adjacent markets to us. And so, you know, we have some expansion plans there, especially that are awesome, uh, folks, uh, partners at wrench group, LGP will help fund us. And so I'm the Carolina's regional CEO for wrench group. And, uh, I have one direct report myself and, uh, <laughs> uh but uh, we're going to build that out and, uh, take this, this thing on the road, but, you know, we're going to be deliberate and very purposeful about that and, uh, you know, find the right, uh, you know, not so much timing, but the, you know, the right partners to, to do and spread the Marsh Jenkins throughout the Carolinas, both North and South Carolina. Hey, to the point listeners, hopefully you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. You know, I have to cut it a little bit short. So we're going to have to part two this thing, but man, how cool is Jonathan Bancroft and his story with Morris Jenkins, such a reputable company. I've heard about him for so long and I loved hearing his story and we're just starting to get into the meat and taters of it. And part two is full jam-packed of a lot of good shit so tune in next week to part two with my dude jonathan bancroft the beast from the east
Listeners, thank you so much again for listening to this podcast week after week. We are extremely grateful. Again, the whole purpose of this podcast is to give back to the home services industry that we love so much, whether you're a rhino or not. We really, really appreciate all the subscribers. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please go in and subscribe and you'll get all the episodes sent to you automatically weekly. Also, we have really enjoyed your feedback. Uh, it's so meaningful for us when we get to read the nice comments that you guys put. So keep doing that. And if you don't know how to do it, here's what you got to do. You search for To The Point Home Services on Apple Podcasts. You click on our profile, scroll all the way down to the bottom and hit write a review and be honest and share your story and how the podcast has impacted you and your business. Thanks again from the bottom of our hearts at To The Point Home Services Podcast. We appreciate you.